0: Do you know what you're going to ask me so yep. I can think about. it? Oh, okay. Uh,
1: usually what I do is I sit and do some homework. Yeah. Uh, but today I've had, the homework was, oh,
0: David, you have been recording a
1: podcast. That was the sum total of my Fantastic. research. I love it. Uh, I bought you a beer, I bought yeah, myself a great. glass of wine. That's exactly what we need. We sat down at the end of the hotel. Mm. You know, as far as prep goes, it's a little bit thin.
0: That's fine, that's what I'm used to. I, that's how I run my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
1: Uh, David Bostock, what an absolute privilege Thank you Paul pleasure, uh, To be interviewing on this podcast uh, Just for, in case anyone's listening And in case I decide not to re-record an intro <laughs> If the, if the <laughs> sound's terrible I'll re-record it Yeah, okay. Uh, just so people know, this is the end of the SWPP convention uh, It is open for another 20 minutes So I'm expecting we get 20 minutes of reasonable silence I hope so, yeah Before there's a, just a footfall of people leaving looking bleary-eyed uh, How have you found it? How's it been? It's
0: always brilliant. It's always a, a Kickstarter for me for the year. Um, you see some uh, amazing stuff. I, I always sit on, on the judging, that's what I do. I've done it every year since, I think this is my 11th year of coming now. So 2008, was my first, when I, I knew nothing, I was very, very green. And, um, and sat on the judging, you just see such amazing images come up. I think that's, you know, even if you don't, and this year I've not really gone
1: on any classes, I've just literally come and watched the judging. It was, yeah. it was really good, as it always is. Yeah, so you, I saw you sitting in the room that I was judging. Yeah. Which, the degree of fear and trepidation, <laughs> I have to ask.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, it was, um, yeah, it's always, it's, always a, it's always a challenge. I mean, it's a, you know, there's, it's definitely a massively robust process. There's no question about that. And the way it's done is brilliantly. But obviously you do get different judges that have different genres of work that they yeah. like. Um, and so, you know, my sort of, chosen style is quite pj orientated um so um it's always a challenge if i get some very very classical posed <laughs> people uh, and they see a kind of out there pj image come yeah. come up but um no it was it was really really good and i think the the show
1: was good i managed to see who i was and catch up with some people so it's good yeah, so i see you quite a lot of the different trade shows and award ceremonies mm. you're a little bit like me and you kind of in, I love the atmosphere. I just love being around photographers. Yeah, I do. And there's always something new and um,
0: new things to learn. But you know, it's like anything, really. I always said when I was speaking at one of the MPA things, I said, you know, I've been doing this. I think it's my eleventh professional year. But there's no way I'm the finished article. You know, I'm still <laughs> learning, and I can still know? and I still learn. I still learn from everybody and and uh, and get little bits and pieces. So I was in the Jerry Johannes um, or Gionis. Um, Taught this morning. It was it was really really good. And there's some, uh, yeah. You always take a few nuggets away. And it was really interesting to see him do something away from weddings this morning. What did well. you take away from it today? Um, there was a few things. He did this. Um, he did this incredible thing with this. Um, it was a boudoir sort of model up on some rooftop in LA, and uh, he was testing out a new camera for Nikon because he's a Nikon ambassador. And he just literally had her moving, and, and he had it in burst mode. So he suddenly shot 200 images and then he went back into photo mechanic and literally just pressed the uh, advance button kept his finger on it and filmed it with his iphone and put it through a super 8 app on his iphone and got an incredible put to some sort of uh, music from cabaret and it was just very compelling and spellbinding and created in a in a heartbeat in two
1: seconds it was brilliant wow that sounds Fantastic. Really <laughs> good, really good. Sadly, he was on at the same time as me. I was uh, sitting in a much smaller room than him because he overran by half an hour, didn't he? He did indeed, yeah. Uh, he had yeah, lots yeah. of good stuff. He had, he had too much to sell, I think. Oh, really? <laughs> he's, he's releasing a new ice light, isn't he? Uh,
0: he probably, probably. He, he was uh, he yeah, he was, he was yeah, he was really pushing his uh, his online uh, Jerry Johannes training, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. which, which he does which every year, which is very, very good, I have to say.
1: Yeah, yeah no, I was a member of it for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, so just uh, out of interest, uh, what do you specialize in? What's your big thing? my be I'm, I'm mainly weddings yep.
0: um, and I've been weddings pretty much from the start um, it's uh, when I set up my business, my wife at the time, well, my wife currently, um, was um, <laughs> was uh, yeah, was, uh, <laughs> was setting up her bridal shops. Right. And so um, I'd done loads of weddings for families, we all do. And I uh, started thinking, well, this is going to make some sense. There's going to be a bit of, hopefully, a bit of synergy between a bridal shop yep. and a, a wedding photographer. So I, I did that. I've probably shot about 450 weddings wow. now. And um, But about five years ago, I intru- introduced a boudoir into my uh, offering. And, um, you know, that's getting some traction now and that's starting to become a a proper business in its own right alongside it as well. And we've got a certain style and we seem to be getting, you know, clients from further afield had someone fly from Iceland to do a shoot before Christmas and Sweden. So we're getting a bit more sort of traction in that. And it's something I really enjoy doing. alongside the wedding business.
1: But you don't have a studio, do you?
0: No, I don't. Um, the, the boudoir, I mean, it's, it's interesting because if you, if you want to create something in boudoir, and there's some people that do it brilliantly, um, you basically have to create, a, effectively, a bedroom or something encroaching it. So why not go into a beautiful bedroom that's already set up? Yeah. So we tend to rent country houses and hotels um, and, and do the shoot there with as the much available light as we can.
1: Right, OK. Uh, what, what drew you into weddings? In the, I know you obviously Ellie yeah. has a very successful, incredible wedding gown supply yeah, yeah. shop. I think I'm shop. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> empire. Terror, ter- empire. Yeah. I'm using the word empire. Uh, was that what drew you in, or was it just you love weddings? No, I love weddings. I think you, if, you've got,
0: if you do if you do weddings, you've got to like people. If you don't like people, don't be a wedding photographer. Yeah. Um, and I liked it enough. And there's, you know, I always say this. It's, it's. Some people used to peg it down as the, as the poor man's photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it is one of the hardest genres to do well because you are doing everything. You're a food photographer, you're a landscape photographer, you're a portrait photographer, you're a photojournalist and everything. And I've never got bored doing it because there's enough in each wedding for me to do that keeps me interested, really, yeah. to do things differently. And I, I you know, I wouldn't say I'm a, an out-and-out PJ guy. Um, that's what I probably shoot the majority of the day. But I really like doing sort of fine art portraiture as well, um, which is very, very different. It's quite incongruous to the PJ that I do, but I do believe you can do both at a wedding.
1: Yeah, no, I think you can do both, very much so. Yeah, You know, I think it's a fantastic, I think weddings are a fantastic opportunity to take portraits. Yeah. Um, In fact, my pitch is I'm a portrait photographer at your wedding. Yeah, of course. Because I'm not a classicist. I'm not, you know, floating gowns on that end of the business. No. Um, What was interesting in the judging was the way people spoke and evaluated wedding images but wedding PJ in particular. Yeah. Um, What do you think is, why do you think PJ is so hard to both do and then to have it judged? Because PJ is, really is about telling stories.
0: It's not about taking a picture of a guy standing there drinking a beer, you know, which is what a lot of people say, (laughs) well there's nothing else going on the wedding so (laughs) I'll do a bit of PJ. Um, It's about Finding those stories and, and, yeah. and staying with them and seeing what can develop. And, and taking the risks because you're going to miss something else yeah. that's going on elsewhere. But if you've got enough experience and you've got a feel for what's going on in front of you, um, just to stay with and make that story. But it's also about, you know, looking all the corners of your viewfinder and finding out exactly what's going on in the edges of the, yes. uh, in, in the story as well. Because actually you could be focusing on some action or some jubilation in in one part of it, but it's the little girl that's crying in the background or something like that that makes the story. And I just think some of the amazing PJ work uh, done by people like Joe Boosin is is just amazing. And the fact he employs, he always goes out as a two photographer package, um, but he, he, he never does anything formal. That's his, he calls it his first photographer. He says, I'm the second photographer at my own weddings, right. um, because he spends his life hunting around the edges of the weddings for all yeah. the thing, And that's, that's sort of what I do as well. And I say to the bride and groom, you're the most important people at yeah. this wedding, but actually some of the most important moments you'll never see yeah. um, and uh, are not going to be created by you. Please don't let them
1: play the piano. Indeed. Throw something at them. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, here we go. So now we're set to music. Indeed. Um, let's it's very go relaxing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) uh, We could just talk a music question, I suppose. uh, Because your background... Oh. Oh, that's quite romantic. It is, it is. He's actually quite good. All it needs is a a kind of drifting saxophone over the top. Lots of reverb. 1988, around that kind of era. You know it's funny isn't it, all my my
0: pro sax mates um, haven't got much work at the moment because there's yeah, not much sax yeah, on anything yeah. these
1: days and the
0: 80s you couldn't get away from it yeah you it know, was on bit everything jerry rafferty in the, in yeah, the 70s right. and then yeah. you
1: know george michael and all that stuff in the 80s are just a fantastic sound right because uh, you were a saxophonist
0: i am indeed yes um, so, uh, sorry
1: i said work but of course yeah, oh, i am you still yeah,
0: play, did not he yeah i've been playing crikey well i started playing when i was 13 so um was going to do it professionally proper professionally for, for several times and uh you know, I did. I did do it at a fairly high level, supported level 42, and people like that. And we um, used to do quite a lot of session work for the BBC, um, getting paid terrible money by the BBC. <laughs> um, but um, nothing um, changes. Yeah, and it's it's something I've always loved doing. Um, a jazz player primarily, but playing pop bands, and rock bands, and yep. all sorts of things really. Um, really love it, and it's, I still play. I still travel. Um, all over the place to play when I can. Unfortunately, um, I don't double sax and photography, even though I get asked <laughs> to. People find out I'm in um, a sax player and they say, oh, do you know what, we were thinking about our wedding band and uh, you know, do you think you could come and play in the evening? <laughs> you said, you know, after, after sort of 10 hours on my feet, the last thing I'm ever gonna do is take a sax
1: I did it once for a friend and I said never again. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you think though, being a performer, do you yeah. think you bring that to the wedding as absolutely. well? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I mean, I love being on stage. I'm a a, a big show off when it comes to things like that. And um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of very upbeat at a wedding and I I do think that clients feed off your energy directly. So if you're upbeat and you're positive and you're enthusiastic and you're smiling and you're laughing and you're you're coaching them, then you're always gonna get a better reaction out of them.
1: That's so true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You see people starting out in the industry and if, if you kind of want them to understand that it's a performance, you yeah. have to be genuine, it has to yeah, be you, yeah. absolutely. but it's a performance.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think so. And it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's, there's times where you want to just pull back and just be quiet and observe, uh, but there's other times where you do have to initiate things to get the
1: best out of people that are not professional models. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, in terms of, I mean, you're a big one, for, you both teach, and you are always someone who attends. I've seen you at many seminars, someone yeah. I'm there with you. Others yeah. that I'm teaching, and I've been there when you've been teaching. Yeah, what do you think is so important about education? You know, you've been in the industry ten years. You're you're a big enough name. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily expect to see you there. But why do you still go? Because there's always something to learn, and I'm not
0: talking necessarily about technique. I'm just it just could be inspiration from an image. I mean, there was an amazing image in. Uh, that uh, I don't know if it won but it was uh, it was one of the PJ images with the red carpet and yeah, yeah. Um, and people listening to this won't know unless they go and have a look at it but it was it was I don't think I've ever seen anything like it mm. I don't know if it was shot with a drone or whatever but it just made me think about that viewpoint and and the way that image was composed and uh, so you get a lot from looking at images but you you know I've been doing this 11 years, which I don't think is that long. You've got people like you know the Yerberies, who I hold to the highest esteem, you know, and and, and people like that, and um, Kevin Wilson, and these guys have just been doing it for years, uh, and have seen pretty much everything, and they used to shoot on film, yeah. um, and I just think that you can you can always learn something from somebody, whoever it is, um, and so that's why I do it really, because I think education is the most important thing if you stop learning you stop you might as well give up
1: what's the single best nugget you ever learned uh oh some kind crikey of show um or? I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> it's it's probably from i learned it in a book
0: um it's probably damien lovegrove um when i first read his book and he said, "You shoot everything at f/4 and don't get the sky in anything," and that was <laughs> a, a really, a really stupid thing. But actually, if you think about it, and, and putting people um, in pockets of light and pockets of shadow and dark backgrounds to make them separation and things like that, um, that that was something. You know, f/4 is that lovely aperture that's not quite wide open, but it's small. It's uh, it's it's yes. wide enough to get everything out of focus. And uh, I think those those two things. And Gordon McGowan said. Um, you know, why are you setting your camera at uh, 200 ISI? I always set mine at 1600 or 2500, because I want more grain in my pictures. Yeah, yeah. Um, think, uh, I think things like
1: that. Brilliant, I like that advice, don't get any sky in there. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, or if you yeah, do, crop it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always bad you don't always have an option. No. Uh, what's the best thing you've seen here at the trade show this time around? Uh, the best thing I've seen here um, was,
0: um, uh, interestingly, I do a little bit of studio work, and I haven't got a problem with strobes, but I certainly in my boudoir work I use a continuous light all yeah. the time. Um, uh, I use I actually use a, I'm probably one of the few people that bought an ice light and actually use it quite a lot. Right. Um, Jerry will be very but I, proud. But I, I don't like getting a, a um, an oblong catch light in the eye. Yeah. Um, so I like the rotor light I was looking lights, um, which are which are great. Not only. You know the different color temperatures. You can gel them, etc. But the the fact to just use them with barn doors and actually see what you're taking. Actually, I learned quite a lot of this from the from the Yerberries. Um They used a Fresnel light, um, continuous light. Uh, didn't have even have a strobe anywhere near any of their uh, boudoir stuff. And I think that's to see what you're going to create yeah. uh, is brilliant. And I thought that that was a really good product.
1: It is. I think because uh, I've looked at it as well with the different things. I like strobes because you get that larger pupil absolutely and that's the only thing with continuous light is you get that tiny pupil that, that pinprick yeah 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 that,
0: i mean that that there's that, but if you look at people you know i'm I, i'm influenced by photographers of the past um you know my favorite photographer of all time is bob carlos clark yeah um i love all this stuff i love the fact he used to do all that kind of stuff in a dark room um he used to sandwich negatives together um you know when he when he did a print and he used to selenium tone it it's probably only one of its type, because yeah. the next one he did would look completely yeah. different. Yeah. Um, but him and uh, Horst, P. Horst, um, yeah. all the fashion stuff he did for Vogue um, in the 50s, 40s and 50s, is just all done with continuous lights. Yeah. It's, all, it's all beautiful.
1: Yeah, and I think, you yeah, know, I was looking at the rose lights and a few other video-style continuous LED lighting, because it's come on in leaps yeah, yeah. and bounds, hasn't it? Leap, sorry, leaps and bounds. Um, with these high CRI color value leds and multi-led setups yeah it's quite exciting it It is is. it is and i I just think it's i don't know with these electronic viewfinders
0: that you're getting so much in mirrorless cameras these days although i haven't made the switch yet um we will yeah i think i'll wait till canon get their their model right because i think canon are great at doing things second yeah. And I think they'll look at Sony and Fuji and everybody, and and they, I think the next camera they'll bring out will be quite something. I think the fact they've dropped their price on this one so much at the show means they probably think they haven't got it right as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, but what was ironic actually, I went to look at the um, the ESR um, with the new 28. Uh, 70, which is just such a beast of a lens, it's an F2, but it's it's about four times as big as the camera. Yeah. It seems <laughs> yeah. a bit strange to have this small mirrorless yeah. camera with this huge kind of brick yeah. on the front of it, but um,
1: I'm sure it's a great camera. In, in the end, the laws of optics can't be min- miniaturised, can they? You no. still have to have a fat bit of glass. No, no, and I think to, to, to have an F2 lens is, I love F2 lenses,
0: just, they just give you that little bit more than an F2.8. Yeah,
1: so you work predominantly on your own?
0: yeah almost exclusively um when i first started whether it was a confidence thing i'm not sure i used to take um i used to take another photographer out or an assistant um pretty much i don't know seven or eight years ago i sort of stopped doing that and and went out on my own and the reason for that is that i like to uh, you either get it or you don't at a wedding Um, but i it makes me work harder. But also, it makes me leave the wedding knowing I either have or haven't got it on my memory cards, and I know that when I've left the wedding. And I, I, I'm not a control freak, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not home to say, "Oh, go and shoot the bride," or "We'll oh, go and shoot this," etc. And then getting the images back and being disappointed and thinking, yeah. "If only I'd done that, I'd have done it from a different angle, or I'd have done it right. in my style." So, yeah. I, if, it, if it's a big Indian wedding, definitely two, maybe three photographers. If it's a big Jewish wedding, definitely two photographers, because you need to be in two different places at once. Yeah or it's 200 people plus. But generally, I'll, if it's anything up to sort of 150 people, I feel really confident getting that on my own. And
1: downstream from the wedding, do you do all of your own edits and production? Yeah, I
0: do. I, yes, mostly. I mean, I, 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 I get somebody to do the file balancing for me. So effectively, um, once I've done the cull... I send the raws off um, to have their contrast and colour and, and everything. So they look amazing when they come back to me. And you know, you can do some really nice crisp black and white conversions once you've got a decent file yeah, to yeah. work on. Um, but that sort of grunt work that would take me ages and I hate doing, I give to someone else. It's not yeah. giving any creative control to somebody else. It's just effectively making the files look as, as good as they can. Yeah. Um, I don't outsource um, I don't outsource the other stuff. Boudoir, I'm, I'm toying with, uh, with outsourcing some retouching, uh, but you have to be quite careful. I have to have a retouching house I totally trust, because yeah. obviously the intimate nature of the images, I have yeah. to be sure they're locked down tight and they're not going to appear anywhere.
1: Um, and it has to be somebody that's going to treat the images very sensitively, and as, as I would myself. Yeah, yeah. It was the best advice I think I read in the many a year was when I read the bit that said the best black and whites come from perfectly... Colour correct his originals. Yeah, I mean it's
0: it's a real cop out to say, oh god, that's a bit tungsteny. I'll turn it to black and white because yeah, no. you always get a horribly muddy black that's and right. white. And it's uh, it's a bit like turning black and white under those horrendous uh, first dance lights they use, yeah. uh, those purple lights, and you just get this really horrible,
1: weird, yeah. weird skin tones that you can't really do much about. It's awful, isn't it, when that yeah, happens? It, it just drives you crazy. Yeah. Uh, what does a typical day look like for you then? Okay. Um,
0: uh, well, I, I used to wake up when well, I used to wake up on a Saturday or whenever it was, and I used to hear the rain driving against the windows. I used to get really panicked and, uh, and think, Oh, crikey, you know, what, what are we going to do today? <laughs> and I've got to use flash and all this kind of stuff. And I actually, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't even cross my mind now, it doesn't even bother me. I've got my five white Rollies in the back of the car. Um, I will always sort of tend to kick off traditionally with a bride. I'll always do uh, two hours before the ceremony plus any travelling time. So I'm getting her at the end of her makeup, I'm getting some nice time with her to do some portraits, Um, going to meet the groom, do some shots with them, and then I'm at the church when the bride comes to me, or if it's in a venue where she's got married, I go back to her. Um, So I get two bites at the bride, so to speak. Uh, And then the day runs as the day runs during the the, uh, champagne reception, and I'm always pushing for more time. Uh, From the very first day I meet somebody, I ask, uh, how long their champagne reception is going to be, because um, I always want two hours from the end of the ceremony to sit down. I don't always get it, but I know if I don't get it, I'm going to have to work extra hard to get yeah. those kind of images that I want to. Um, I will obviously take them off a couple portraits, but I'm also conscious that it's their wedding, yeah. um, and you know, I don't need more than half an hour to create what I need to create yeah. uh, with them, and I, and I make that clear to them, and I can get as much great stuff with them interacting with their guests um, once I, once I know I've got the, the shots that I want with them, um, then I'm really 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 comfortable.
1: It's that balancing act, isn't it? Because on the it one is. hand, the clients would love these beautiful, styled, the yeah. images, yeah. But they want you to do it somehow without distracting them away from their day. Yeah. And you're constantly trying to find ways of engineering it so it can be no, quick. it's
0: it's really hard. I mean, obviously, if it's if it's a summer wedding. Um, you do get that chance after dinner in some downtime to get them out in some beautiful yep. light with the lights because obviously, when you choose to photograph them, might not be the best light. Um, so, there's that. It's interesting listening to Jerry Johannes as well, and somebody asked exactly that question, you know. And uh, I think he was saying that he asked the bride to be ready, um, so he's got sort of two hours with the bride. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and then he has two hours with the groom. And yeah. then he has two hours with a couple. I mean, that's six hours. I don't know where he makes yeah. all that time from. That's a long wedding. I
1: well, know, I don't know where you get, where the hell, <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> I've I, I never been you're, given.
0: You're gonna be able to kind of manufacture that time, but you know, as much time as you have, but you know, as, as, a, as a busy wedding photography, you've got to make just the most of what you've got. Yeah. Um, and that's what, I think that's where experience comes. And that's where, you know, having done this for 11 years and 450 weddings or whatever, the, the experience kicks in and you know, if you've got 15 minutes, you get great images in those 15 minutes yeah, yeah. and that's all you've got to work with. How do
1: you go about finding your
0: clients? My clients? Um, mm. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I have a great relationship with my wife's boutique, which <laughs> sort do. of helps. Um, I, From day one, I mean, my, my background before I became a photographer and was doing a bit of saxophone noodling, I was a, 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 a businessman. I was a sales director of a, a dot com and a digital advertising agency. So. Um, I sort of get sales and marketing and I get that 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 thing there. Um, so obviously the bridal boutique was great in terms of bringing me high level clients. I've always had this, um, you know, I'm not the cheapest photographer in the world and I'm very happy not to be the cheapest photographer in the world. So I have to have clients that are certain budget levels and I think aligning yourself with venues, the right sort of venues is absolutely critical. And I did a talk at the MPA last year about how to make venues your super fans um, because I think, if you you know if it if it's sort of twenty to thirty thousand pounds to get married in that wedding venue sort of entry level they're probably going to be spend about two and a half three grand on a wedding dress and they're probably going to be spending about three grand on a photographer it's a, yeah. it's something that just seems to work as a formula really um, and interestingly a lot of the venues I shot at when I first started out I don't get any business there at the moment because the clients just don't have that sort of budget yeah um, so the web brings me a lot of stuff. Um, I'm finding for the first time now Instagram is, is bringing me business where I've, I've always supported it, but it's never really bought me a lot of business before. But now in the last year, it's becoming more and more important, which means I
1: probably need to go back and delete a lot of personal stuff <laughs> I've got on there and make it a bit more businessy. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, if you were teaching someone and you do teach people, what do you prioritize, the creativity or the commercial? Um, commercial, really. I,
0: I think, I think you, you know there's, there's some amazing photographers out there and I just had a drink with a, a good friend of mine who's a classic example of someone who's an amazing photographer who has no confidence or no, doesn't know how to market themselves. In fact, one of my second shooters um, that I do use occasionally is, um, is the most amazing photographer that doesn't know it. And I said that to his wife, I said, do you know, do you have any idea how good your husband is? Or she goes, I know, but he doesn't. Yeah. Um, and... Um, uh, but, you know, he gets about three weddings a year at about £1,000, you yeah. know, because he just doesn't have an idea how to market himself or has a clue about SEO or, or the web. Yeah. Um, and I think so business skills are absolutely critical um, if you want to try and make money and, and you want to make a living at yeah. it. And do you
1: employ anyone else in your business at all? Yeah. Except have, for ignoring second shooters and that yeah, sort of Yeah, I have it. the
0: lovely Helen um, who... who, who um, it's not like a Sarah. Um, <laughs> you could never be like a Sarah, but she's a um, she'll kill me if she hears me say that. But um, she she comes in and and sort of keeps me on the straight and narrow. Um, she's absolutely brilliant communicating with clients. If I get an email, I said, can you can you Hellenize it a little bit? Um, because um, she's great with the boudoir clients as well. It's all very girly and it's yeah. all really good. Um, so yeah, she does uh, a lot of the uh, the administration that helps me give a service level to my clients i would struggle to give on my own with the sort of volume i'm shooting
1: yeah no i understand that completely Uh, if you could give one piece of advice to uh let's let's, i think we'll stick with wedding photography to a wedding photographer starting out Mm. if you could give one piece of salutary advice what would it be um crikey i would
0: say the amount of managing expectations and pre-preparation you can do with your client and the amount of uh, information you can get from them before the day is the most important thing if you're prepared for what you're going to be walking into whether that's a 15-minute reception or something like that um, you're 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 armed and you can deal with it Um, i think when you sort of go in completely blind it puts an extra level of pressure on you Um, So I always insist on a pre-wedding meeting with my clients, whether it's on Skype, on the phone, so we can really talk through the day. And if they haven't thought about something like um, where to be at a certain time or um, things like that, then obviously we can cover that off so you have a smoother experience. So I think pre-planning as much as you can.
1: Yeah, no, I'd agree with you. I've always... I try to explain to clients that the better, the more detailed our upfront plan, the more chilled... And relaxed it is on the day. Yeah, People think because I'm looking for detail and some degree of structure. Yeah, that that's what I want on the day. That's not true. What I want is clarity mm. around what we're going to try to do and the timings, so that when it doesn't act like that on the day, and it won't, yeah, then I know what it should have been. And it's actually much more chilled. It feels more flowing and more. Uh, absolutely. And
0: when it comes to things like family groups, um, that's you know it's. it's it, you know it's, it's important stuff because obviously this is that you're creating a legacy for people and there's going to be people at that wedding that are not going to be there in a few years time that are going to need to be captured but get that up front and get that from the client and know what's important to mm. be captured um, whether that's photojournalistically whether that's traditional whether that's portraiture whatever um, but also manage their expectations because a lot of the decisions that are coming to them are not coming from them it's coming from their parents yes um, and to be able to manage that carefully, yeah. um, so um, you know everybody gets what they want, <laughs> but they're also managing their expectations that we're employing a sort of photojournalistic style photographer. So he's not necessarily going to do the kind of things that you had at your wedding.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you had the opportunity and could have just one of your images blown up the size of a building, which image would it be? I know, and I know you're going to have to articulate it because this is not a video. This is a a podcast
0: yeah it, and it'll be one of the ones that um, it got a silver distinction in the WPPI um, and it's it's quite a you might think why are you choosing that image um, but it's a uh, uh, of a couple I've shot from the back of the church because the vicar would not let me anywhere near the front of the church and I was in a really bad mood because I was thinking I'm not going to get the shots I want and um, while they were sitting down and getting their blessing there was this noise and it was was almost like a drum going off and it was this little boy shaking the the edge they had pews that were closed with little doors at the end and he was shaking this door as if he wanted to get out (laughs) and um, at some point his dad must have flipped flipped the latch and he came out and he poked his head round and I got literally two images of it. And um, it always strikes a massive chord with people when they can see it. He's sharp, they're out of focus at the front and um, all the composition, his father's hand on top of the door, it all sort of goes to to make that perfect image for me. And that's what photojournalism is all about. If I got shot from the front, I'd never have
1: got that shot. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, What's the biggest mistake you've ever made? Um, it was actually um, I could do a wedding one, but I'll do I'll do
0: one that, on a pre-wedding shoot where I wasn't I was shooting on the, uh, on the on the Canon 5D that was first out, and I did half the shoot before I realised the camera had been switched to shoot without card and I actually didn't have a card <gasps> in. Um, luckily, um, it was a pre-wedding shoot, not a wedding. It was very early on in my career, and I just said, "Oh, I've just been through the pictures, and you know, you've got a few eyes closed in ones. Can we just go back and do that again?" And the, and the couple never knew, but it's made me consciously. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit like, um, I don't know, a witch doctor. Before I go to my weddings, I have to go through this same process every every time, um, checking my cameras, putting them in certain positions, making sure my memory cards are in certain places, making sure all my cameras are set to f/4. Um, 400 ISO um, aperture priority before I just put them in the bag <laughs> um, and, and things like that. And more importantly, if they've been in for a service, that the lenses are switched back onto water focus and yep. um, the, the uh, shoot without card is yeah, turned yeah,
1: yeah. off. <laughs> <coughs> it's funny how that gets reset occasionally. I know, it is, it is. And
0: it's, uh, it's easy, particularly when you're, you, you shoot fast and you're, you're a bit more confident in your shooting. So you're not constantly checking what you're shooting on the back of the camera. Um, it's uh, Yes, it's something I would nev- <laughs> never want to
1: happen again. So we're sitting here in January 2019, what does this year look like for you? Um, it's, it's, really, it's really
0: reassuringly busy, um, you know I shoot about, um, I choose to shoot, I always say sort of 30. Um, sometimes I do 25, sometimes I do 35, sometimes I do a few more and I've got 25 booked. Um, as of the end of January. Um, So I'm really, really happy with that. And they're at the sort of venues that I want to be. There's a lot at the dairy at Watterston, which I hadn't done so many before at. A lot at Heads of House, um, and those kind of venues with those kind of spenders. Um, So it gives me a a sort of slightly more relaxed approach to the year, because I can have a bit of a play and know that I'm not gonna, (laughs) not be able to pay the mortgage. Um, And it means I can do a little bit more boudoir as well, which is which is something that you know last year We did sort of three times as many shoots as we had done before so it's it's getting big enough now for me to sort of take it Seriously. Brilliant. Uh, What drives you mad? Um, What drives me mad? um, People charging not enough for their photography and dragging the whole market down Um, and people getting sucked into selling digital files Um, I've always always sold albums and you know I've just decided to do it um, in the fact that I use um, I use collections um, instead of um, you know a la carte so all of my clients get an album included in their collection and that's where I upsell them from yeah. um, and so you know I just generally believe in the printed album you know my mum and dad's got married in 1948 they're 92 this year And, um, you know, we still look at that wedding album. And for a 1948 photographer, she was a pretty good photojournalist, you know? Um, And um, so, yeah, I think um, people not charging enough for their photography,
1: and um, I think it just damages it for everybody, really. Yeah, Scott Johnson talked about that really compellingly in my previous podcast. Okay. Really interesting in that interview as well. So it's almost exactly the same thing.
0: Yeah, it is, and it's... it's, uh, uh, the problem is everybody looks at everybody else um, and um, rather than trying to work out what your prices should be from, from your own value proposition and your own business, etc. Yeah. And um, you know, it's, it's, if it, well, I had an American photographer come and assist me for a while and she came from New York. She couldn't believe the cheapness of wedding photography in the UK. Yeah. And she'd come from New York and she'd only shot a handful of weddings, you know, and she was saying, you know, oh, they're, they're all charging $3,000 plus, you know, um, and she just couldn't believe it. Now she's actually been a UK photographer for a while. Her, her, her stance has changed quite a lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It's um, funny.
0: But I just think it's, um, you know, we all know how hard we work on the day, um, and I think when you're setting up as a wedding photographer, you know, you choose where you're gonna sit in the market, um, but if you sit at the bottom, you've got a long way to climb. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if your work's good, you don't
1: need to sit there. Yeah. Uh, what's the best photography book you own um, or have bought for someone else? Oh, mastering portrait photography. No. Um, <laughs> um, Thank you. Uh, what's the
0: best uh, photography book? It depends if you're talking about sort of technique or things like that. I mean, just I, I, that I just I just love looking through um, the Bob Carlos Clark book, yeah. the Dark Summer, which was all these images from the early '80s. Um, you know he was experimenting with sort of I suppose semi sort of fetish shots and he was getting all this strange latex and stuff but a lot of it wasn't like that, he did some portraiture that was just off the scale I was very lucky to buy uh, one of his prints um, for my for my 40th birthday as a present to myself, I think I paid £500 for a sign by him which is worth about £1,500 now um, but it's an incredible book, when you think how he did this stuff uh, and the and the images that he created um, from
1: from film um, composites, the whole thing is just just it's an extraordinary book. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I'll put a link to that uh, in the bottom of uh, the podcast. A couple of quick questions. Uh, your graffiti albums? No, I've, I'm, uh, <gasps>
0: I'm not. I know. Oh, uh, sorry, I get into trouble for sorry, that. Sorry, I sorry, I graphie, sorry, I know. Graphie. I shouldn't have asked you. Um, that. They are amazing albums. Um, no, I've 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 sort of gone the. Queensbury roots. Ah, okay. uh, Another beautiful I, album comes And I've be been fair. Queensbury right from the start. You know, I remember coming to the SWPP in 2008, not knowing what a matted album was. I had no idea what a mat was. I thought it was something you wiped your feet on before you went through the door. And um, I said to the guy in the Queensbury stand, I said, well, "You know, what should, what should I buy?" He said, "Well, just buy what you want to sell. So if you want to sell big albums, buy big albums." Mm. So I bought a 15 by 15 duo monster album, and. Um, In fact, it's funny, because the second wedding I ever shot was at Le Manoir. Um, I was really lucky. It was a beautiful couple. It was a beautiful wedding, and I created a beautiful sample too. Um, And I remember somebody coming up to a wedding fair um, and seeing it. It was so different to everybody else that was there. And she said, Dad, I want that and that was it that yeah, was three, three grand booking yeah, on the day
1: I've, 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 yeah it's Queensbury which is a great company beautiful beautiful albums
0: yeah they are I mean they you know they they they, they specialise in, in beautiful matted albums um, and um, you know they've been very very good company with me there are other companies are available of course <laughs> uh, but um, it's somebody I've stayed with um, and I did I, I dib dib and dab in a, a few other companies for specific things they use a little bit different for boudoir yeah. But generally, um, the fine art Queensbury and the duo Queensbury are my sort of mainstay of what I offer.
1: And so, do you still play sax? Is that what you do to unwind?
0: Uh, yeah, I don't. You know, I'd love to say I do gigs all the time. I, I don't. It, it, since I moved to Oxfordshire, because I used to live in Surbiton, in, in, in London, so all my sort of mates were up in London and uh, all the gigs were there. So, I've sort of struggled to find great people to play with since I moved up yeah. here. But there used to be a local pub in the little village that used to live in Benson, and um, the, the chef was a pro sax player, and his wife, who ran the bar, she was a pro singer. So they'd do this jazz jam, and they used to get people coming from, miles around from London, to come into the, this tiny little South Oxfordshire pub to play, and you'd get vibes players, and ten trumpet players, and five tenor players, and they'd all be sort of sitting there waiting for their turn. So that was a great thing while it was, while it was there, and I play in a band. Uh, called Bourbon Street Revival, if you want to check them out, www. Bourbon Street Revival. <laughs> they were not that good, but they really believe it, uh, yeah. and they're sort of very much based in the blues and soul, and um, we're doing the, uh, I think we're doing the Under the Bridge in Chelsea
1: in a, in a couple of months as Brilliant. well. So um, yeah, bits and pieces, I still love it. Brilliant. Uh, we might talk to you actually, uh, I'm starting to think about putting a band together. Yeah, well you're a drummer aren't you? Yeah. Uh, and I, I have got the forming of a band, it's coming. Oh, definitely be up so for that, we, definitely we, up for that. Trade, trade show it. band, I can't. There there's an, an band incredible
0: band. Um, jazz outfit, I mean the new jazz that's coming through, Blinker and Moses, he's a drummer, and he's a sax player, and that's it, there's no other instruments in the band, it's Fantastic. just a drummer and a sax player. So you know we've got the whole band there already.
1: It's, it's like White Stripes but we yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 sax and drums. What a lovely opportunity to talk to you, mate. Thank you so much. I oh, know, the pleasure is all mine, that was just lovely, in spite of the racket. Yeah no, I know, it's crazy, everyone's
0: checking out, we have piano players, people yeah, going up and down in lifts. I, and I told you the trade show
1: would end and everyone would come hurtling down to this lift. At, Goes straight to the van where the vans can pull in downstairs. That's Indeed. why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, an absolute thrill. Uh, beautiful photography. A Thank lovely fella. I've never heard you play sax, but I'm assuming it's every bit oh, well, as good. Well, that's as... that's to come in the in the the Paul Wilkinson I band. Might, I might have to come and watch you jam. But if we can form this band, then that's an idea worth pursuing. You're a legend. Thank you very much for Thank your you time. Paul. I'll talk Thanks to you soon. So much.